You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. here and we're glad that you are with us. We're um, obviously looking at 1st Peter this summer, uh, Peter's first letter to his churches in uh, northwestern Asia Minor, today we call that Turkey, um, northeastern Turkey, and um, throughout we've been talking about uh, the fact that uh, Peter is calling his Gentile uh, churches, Gentile meaning non-Jewish at that time, we, they would have, the Jews would have called the Gentiles non-believers. They were, not, they were non-believers or pagans. And Peter's writing to these pagans, um, and he's telling them to rethink their identity uh, because they have, they have never thought of themselves as believers in the one true God. They, they believed in many gods. They were polytheists. They, they worshipped idols. They were idol worshippers. And, and now uh, in verse 10 here, you see Peter doing it again. He keeps doing it throughout. He says, uh, once you were not a people, and now you are God's people. So once they had no community, they were nothing. They were just all these scattered individuals worshiping their idols. And now they have been drawn together into this people, uh, this family of God. So what that's telling us today is that we need to rethink who we are. And that we are not a bunch of atomized consumers as our culture would like us to be that are conforming ourselves to the image of the empire and all the luxuries of the empire. We looked at that last week. Do not be conformed to the ignorant passions of this world. Instead of that, we are now made into a holy family, or at least maybe you're being called into it. Maybe this is your first time here. Uh, The call from God to every human being is to come into my family and become part of this uh, resistance movement to the empire and to all of that um, conformity of the empire. So uh, in this passage, uh, specifically, uh, Peter says to them, I want you to think of yourselves as a, uh, a temple of the living God, which is quite an analogy. In fact, it's more than an analogy. He literally means that. You are the temple of the living God, um, the most sacred space, the most spiritually electric place on planet Earth. The, the Jewish people call that the navel between heaven and earth. It's where heaven and earth were connected in the Holy of Holies in the temple. So that's number one, we are a temple. And then number two, the temple that we are is a completely different kind of architecture from every other building in the empire. So it's kind of like a, a pastel, you know, Victorian mansion just plopped right in the middle of, of, a, of a subdivision, you know, in Louisville or Kernsville or Clemens. It's just like this gigantic, crazy looking building right in the middle of this subdivision of cookie cutter houses. That's what the temple of the living God is. That's what the church is supposed to be. Uh, She's supposed to stick out and be very different. 
as we've been seeing throughout this. So first of all, uh, we are a temple. Uh, verse 9, you are a chosen race, uh, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. It's, uh, it's hard for us to understand how shocking that would be uh, to a Jewish listener, that um, these pork-eating, idol-worshipping Gentiles are redefined by Paul as chosen and royal and holy. And that's just like, that's instantaneously. As soon as they believe, that is now descriptive of them. They didn't have to stop uh, eating unclean foods. They didn't have to get circumcised. They didn't have to start celebrating all of the holy festivals. The moment they believed in the Messiah, their whole identity was changed. It would be like finding out that you're part of the, the royal line of Windsor. Like what if you were doing a genealogy and you find out, oh my gosh, I'm like a cousin of, you know, of Harry and William. I'm part of the royal family. That would change your life if you began to realize that's who I am. That's my lineage. And this is what's happening to these Jewish, uh, these Gentile pagans. They're being called into Judaism. You know, so God, in, in my case, he took my, uh, my secular humanistic bio that was very, this very thin plot, right, of, of personal pleasure, uh, individualistic self-expression. That's who I was. I was not a believer. I was an atheist. Uh, the story of my life was very small, very short. And then all of a sudden I am written into this ancient Jewish epic. Uh, like newborn infants, he says in verse 2, long for pure spiritual milk. So he's basically saying to them, you're now newborn Jewish babies. You're part of the chosen people of God. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And we're not a small part. You know, if you're, if you're a believer in the Messiah, you're not a small part of that family. He says in verse 5, and this is really the most remarkable thing, is he says, like living stones. So imagine uh, the stones, those big ones, the ones in the corner there, imagine they're alive, they're living. Like living stones, you're being built up as a house of the Holy Spirit. We are one of the houses of the Holy. Great album, Led Zeppelin album, Houses of the Holy. Uh, I think of that uh, when I think of Paul, uh, Peter saying we are, we are a house of the Holy Spirit, which is a reference to the, uh, the Jerusalem temple. Again, that's, uh, that's the most sacred space on planet Earth. In 2 Corinthians 6, 16, um, Paul says almost the same thing as Peter. He says, we are the temple of the living God. And again, that's the temple of Jerusalem, which um, to, the, to the Jewish people, it was like, it was a containment silo, right? A, a nuclear reactor, one of those big, huge concrete containment silos, because it has to be that big and that thick and concrete because it's housing this mega hot inferno of a consuming fire. And it's got at the, at the core, the nuclear core of that thing is, is the holy of holies. And so it takes the entire temple uh, to house. And it was a magnificent building. It was much bigger than this church. Huge building right in the, the highest point in Jerusalem. And Peter is saying, you know, you are now a part of the temple. No, you're not just a part. You are the temple. You're a living expression of the temple. Peter would say to one of his churches assembled in a field like this, the presence of Yahweh, the glory cloud, which is hovering over the ark between the cherubim, which is so deadly that if a priest walked in there, they would die immediately. He's saying that has been released. You know, when the curtain tore when Jesus died, uh, it was so that the holiness of God would come flooding out. 
and to his people. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.16, he elaborates. He's saying, we are a temple of the living God. As God said, quote, I will make my dwelling among them and I will walk among them. I will walk among them. I, I thought of uh, the way that I walk among you when I have a, a baby that's newly baptized, right? We walk among, the baby is, goes among you, and we sing the Baroque to the baby. That's the way that God walks among us. Uh, it's hard to know exactly what that means. I know that it's metaphorical, but at the same time, I think about him um, and the fact that he's dwelling in this field right here. I think it's been great for the children to learn that God uh, does not need a building. In this last year, the children have realized, oh my gosh, the church is not a building. Uh, the church is this, a bunch of people in their lawn chairs. Uh, that's the church with God walking among us. You know, maybe some adults have learned that too, but uh, I remember last week, I believe it was last week when we served the Lord's Supper, and I swear it was going to rain, like right when I, I served that first person. It was really over, overcast, and the, the, the wind was like blowing through the the trees, I don't even remember that. Um, the temperature was dropping. It had that feeling of a storm coming. And I thought about how in the Garden of Eden, you know, God walked with his children in the, in the cool of the day. Uh, God is with us when we gather together. And I know, I know the church is more than just the gathered worship of his people, but this is that nuclear core. This is where the magic happens, is when we gather like this, especially around this table. I was listening to um, a podcast by... Uh, Preston Sprinkle, strange name. Uh, it's called Theology in the Raw. It's a really good podcast. He was interviewing Sky Jathani, who's an author I really like. But they said that after COVID, we need to radically rethink church. And I've heard a lot of people saying this. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts about the church, and I've heard many of them say we need to radically rethink the church after COVID. We should rethink sermons and the sacraments and even being in person. And they said that pastors should be curators of podcasts and good books and kind of let people know what's going on out there, what to read, what not to read, what to listen to, what not to listen to. And I thought the only thing we need to rethink as a church is how much we are indwelt by the living God when we gather. Exactly the opposite of what they were saying. We, we need to be more intentional about the fact that we are a temple of the living God and that um, each one of us is like a vital interlocking part of the temple. So every one of you is an irreplaceable structural component in the temple of the living God. A certain brick or a cross beam or a cinder block in the building of the temple of God. Uh, not one of us, if we're missing, uh, th th it would change the nature of the whole, the whole building. Not one of us is replaceable. Um, it, it, our, the question to ask yourself is, are people missing out? Uh, on the part that you are in the temple when you're not there. Or if you're not plugged in, or if you're not fitted in. And are you missing out on the, on the, the, the support of other people? The presence of other people that are, that are not here, that are not helping to support and build up the temple. Tim Keller is a pastor I really love. He says, um, quote, typical individualistic American Christians are rarely deeply embedded in a particular Christian community with relationships of accountability. The typical American Christian is very individualistic, and we are not often deeply embedded in a particular Christian community. We might feel like we're a part of the church, you know, internationally, and we listen to podcasts, and we might give money away. We've got friends we pray with. We do community Bible studies, but 
But, you know, are, is it a gathered community around the Lord's Supper with relationships of accountability? Uh, where we're actually living in as the temple, interlocked parts of the temple of God. I actually think we do a great job of that here. I really love, we, we, we could do a lot better, but we do a great job overall, I think. And Ephesians 2.21, Paul says it again. Uh, he loves this idea. Uh, he says, the whole structure grows. Imagine a building growing slowly. The whole structure grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We are being constructed together into a dwelling place for God. Uh, we're being constructed together into a dwelling place for God. And what, what project could you ever give yourself to? Could you ever support uh, like this, this church that Paul talks about? This, this is, there is no backup plan to fight the empire. There is, there is no other option that God gave planet Earth but the church. Uh, it's the most organic, it's the most ethnically diverse phenomenon in history. It's infinitely complex. It's, it's intricately connected in ways that only the Holy Spirit could do. I mean, what, what institution has brought more beauty to planet Earth, uh, more justice, more diversity, and more mercy than the church? Sure, it has a lot of problems. Tons of, every institution has problems, but there is nothing, there's simply nothing like the church of Jesus Christ. And that's point one. We are a temple, we are living stones, and there are stones above you, uh, and there are stones below you and next to you that support you, partner with you, people that you are supporting. That's what we are. We're, we're the temple of the, of the living God. That's point one. Point two is that the temple is very different uh, than the other buildings around us. The temple of the living God is a very different kind of building. Again, it's like um, if you have a, a row of Georgian houses, if you know architecture at all, if you have a row of like Wake Forest is Georgian, and then you suddenly throw in this Victorian Gothic mansion, uh, completely out of step with the rest of the buildings around it. It's a, it's a different kind of architecture. Uh, verse 6, you see that there. Uh, Behold, I am laying in Zion. That's, that's Jerusalem. And that's, uh, that's where the temple was on Mount Zion. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. So what is a cornerstone? A uh, cornerstone is that stone in the corner of that building that defines the vertical and the horizontal. And uh, it's supposed to be 90 degrees, both, both directions. And it very much depends uh, on, it, the whole building depends on the shape and the rightness uh, of that cornerstone. So imagine you have a bizarre cornerstone. You know, what if you had a cornerstone that looks like a boomerang? Something really strange. Um, and, and so that would, that, would sh that would define the whole shape of the building from top to bottom and all along the sides, a boomerang cornerstone. It would make the building look like a pickle or something like that. And the temple of the living God is completely different from all the buildings on Empire Street. It's like that set of ultra-modern homes on Granville Avenue that make no sense at all. If you've seen those, those they're beautiful, but why are they there? Um, so that's what, the, that's what the, the temple of the living God, it's a completely different kind of architecture. It makes no sense to the empire. Peter says it is, a, it is a stone of stumbling. It's a rock of offense. It's offensive to the neighbors to see this building there. That's what the kingdom of God, the temple of the living God, is. A, it's a stone of stumbling. Uh, that, the cornerstone of the church is not like other cornerstones. I loved it when Pope Francis came to address uh, the U.S. Congress. 
I don't know if you saw that or remember that. That was six years ago. And it's like he was dropped in from outer space. You know, he was wearing his, his garbs in front, of, on, uh, in front of the Congress and the Capitol. It was quite a sight. And he was a stone of stumbling to both the blue and the red senators. They did not know what to do with him. So at first he was talking about the dangers of capitalism and environmental destruction and all the Democrats were cheering for him. And then all of a sudden he pivoted and he started talking about protecting the unborn and traditional family values. And all of a sudden the, there was no clapping on the left and the people on the right were clapping. But nobody knew what to do with Pope Francis uh, because the, um, he represented the entire world. The enti not just like America, but he's looking out for people in every continent on the globe who call him father. So, um, you know, I'm not plugging uh, being a Catholic, but uh, I am really taken by the fact that uh, Pope Francis, um, he does not map onto the culture we're living in at all. Not at all. Uh, he wasn't even like purple. You know, he was more like neon green. He was like a flamingo among a flock of seagulls, like a pink flamingo among a flock of white seagulls. He didn't make any sense at all. Um, so the temple is always odd. Um, the church is always going to be odd. It's going to be strange and alien and ill-fitting. You know, some people are going to call the church a bunch of bigots, and then they're going to call the church a bunch of Marxists. And uh, the church is neither. The church is the church. The church has always been the church. It's not going to change. Cultures may shift left or right, and the church will just continue to stay right where it is, and the culture will call it names from both sides. I don't know if you've ever seen the sun um, just suddenly explode out of, uh, you know, thick, thick clouds after a long, heavy rain. It's one of my favorite sights in the world. When the sun just, it doesn't slowly come out, it just kind of pierces through. And it is deeply disturbing to the darkness when that happens. Um, that's what Peter's saying, out of darkness into marvelous light. That's what, the, that's what the church has to be, out of darkness into marvelous light. And light is always conspicuous. Light cannot hide under a bushel. Uh, light does not hide in darkness. It dispels darkness. And so it's, it's absurd to think of light hiding. It cannot hide. And in the same way, Peter says, you, church, are a holy priesthood. You are a holy nation, verse 5, verse 9. In other words, holy means you're set apart. You're different. You're not like the world. You cannot hide. You're, the priests were set apart from the normal people. They wore garments that were special. Israel was set apart from the normal nations. She was special. She stuck out like a sore thumb. She was supposed to stick out. And so I'm excited to see the way the church, uh, our church in particular, I'm excited to see the way all churches in America will begin to look less and less like the culture. Because Christendom, if you haven't noticed, Christendom's wearing off. Nominal Christianity doesn't work anymore. You're not gaining points by being a Christian anymore. Um, it's actually going to, you're going to, it's going to cost you some points to be a Christian. And they say that one third of people are not coming back to church. And probably those one third really didn't care a lot about church to begin with. And so I think the pruning is really good. And I've also known that a lot of people are coming into the church who have never part of the church. So I think we're in a really good time where the church is going to become more and more like an alternative city, which is what we're supposed to be. We are supposed to be an alternative city in the heart of our city. And not just Salem, but all these churches. All these little fascinating little cities. You know, every, every city has a feel. So Dallas and Austin, Texas, have very different feels, if you know those two cities. Charlotte, North Carolina, and Asheville 
have very, very different feels to them. And imagine a city, um, imagine a city where all the schools were equally funded. Can you imagine that? Where every single child was given the same opportunity to be educated. That'd be an amazing city. Or, or a city where everyone gave away like 10% of their money to fund public parks. And so, you know, over half the city was public green spaces. That would be amazing to be in a city like that. Or there were no, no one was catcalling women at all. There were no inappropriate comments about women, no objectification of women. And people went to work to get promotions to raise up coworkers, not to stomp on them or put them down, but to raise up and lift up coworkers above them. Can you imagine like living in a city where people regularly sacrificed their lives for each other? When someone was in trouble, somebody else would come and to the point of almost dying for that person, they would give their life for them. Well, that is what, that is what the city of God is built upon is this cornerstone who, who in his essence is a radical act of self-giving love. In verse six, uh, Peter says the cornerstone is chosen and precious. That means that it's a human, it's a human being. It's precious and chosen, this person. Uh, the cornerstone you know, breaks our shame. It says whoever believes in him, verse six, will not be put to shame. If you believe in him, he is going to be a shame breaker in your life. And we all have shame. We all carry shame. And he comes and he finds it and he breaks it. Because he was despised and he was rejected by the powers. So he knows what it is to be ashamed. And it says in verse 7 that the stone that the builders rejected, that's the cornerstone. So the one who was shamed now unashames you. And the cornerstone died. And he, when he died, he was praying, Father, forgive them to the ones who killed him. That's the nature. That's the boomerang that is the, the foundation of the church. Uh, the very most beautiful buildings in the world, in my opinion, and I've seen many of them, because I traveled Europe, and whenever I went to a city, I went right to these buildings. The most beautiful buildings I've ever seen in the world are all in the shape, right? They're all in the shape of the cornerstone, which is a cross. They're all in the shape of a cross, these massive cathedrals all over Europe. So that's what we celebrate at this table, that on the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you.